die tonight? Is that your testimony? I don't care what I see. I don't care what I think or what might come. I believe it's promise. Let's bow our heads just now and speak to him. Lord Jesus, we bow our hearts, we bow our heads, we bow our eyes, Lord, in the presence, in the august, the most powerful presence of the living God. Lord, we, we come to you tonight bringing these requests, Lord, that were placed earlier, that you know, our brothers and sisters that, that are sick in their body, Lord, are struggling in some way or another. We can still declare that we can turn to you. You said that while we were yet asking, you had already heard us. You've already sent the answer, Lord. Your word is sure tonight. It don't wear out. It don't get old. don't get dusty. It's still nothing but the truth. It still changes our lives. It still changes our bodies. Your word is what's true tonight, Lord. We stand firmly upon that. We, No matter what Satan will throw our way, Lord, we believe you tonight. I pray you would, as you take these next bit of time, Lord, and open your scriptures to our heart, that it wouldn't just be man's idea, that it wouldn't just be me reading, Lord, but you would step in, take control. Let me sit down, Lord, and you would speak to our hearts and pull us up closer to your side, Lord, and break that bread of life and feed your people once again. Each one of us here tonight have a need. Each one of us, Lord, we've come to the realization that we're in the right place to get that need met, Lord. In the place where you put your name. We accept that promise tonight. We receive it. And Satan, you got no chance tonight. Satan, you're as defeated tonight as you were 2,000 years ago. When our Lord Jesus put his foot upon your neck, you're still defeated. And we are not. That is, thus saith the Lord. What a mighty God you are, Jesus. What a mighty Savior, Redeemer, Healer, Deliverer, Lifter of our head. We worship you with all that's within us, Father. We give you all the glory and the honor and praise. Lord, speak to us tonight. We love you and we appreciate you so much. In your name, amen. Amen, amen. What a mighty God. I don't know, maybe you found someone better than him. What a mighty God we serve tonight. Ain't nobody like our God. Ain't nobody like our God. While you're standing tonight, turn back to Genesis chapter 6 with me. I, I do have quotes I want to read in these. So I don't want you to think I just bring them for fun. I don't, I don't need bulk to bring. I just, I just haven't been able to get to those yet. There's, there's something real good right there. The Lord lets us make it that far tonight. I appreciate his word. I want to read again. Tonight will be part five. And we're still in that rainbow covenant because it's a token. It's a promise. And, and I'll say it like this. It is thus saith the Lord to you specifically tonight. Genesis chapter 6, verse 16. I want to read that one verse tonight again. We read it on Sunday, but I want to come back and touch it. I didn't have enough time to get into it very much on Sunday. He's telling Noah how to build and design this ark. And we, we understand that in the, front of the book, if you were to start reading in, in, uh, in literal uh, direction from the first to the back, you would not really have a good context. You would not have a good grasp exactly how vital chapter 6, this verse right here is, verse 16. You wouldn't understand what it means to you until you get over into Exodus. 
Because in Exodus, what God showed Moses to be able to build that tabernacle. And that tabernacle that was built in the wilderness that moved everywhere they went was an exact type of what he was allowed to see in heaven. This was confirmed by Ezekiel. This was confirmed by Daniel. This was confirmed by John. This was confirmed by Paul. Paul couldn't write it down, but Paul got to see it. This is backwards and forwards to the book. So as you, as you I read this to you tonight before you're seated, I want to read that one verse. And you understand there's an outer court, there's an inner court, and there's a holy of holies. And what a coincidence, and I like to use that word as hard facetiously as I possibly can. What a coincidence, as he's describing this ark of their day, he said, A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof, Break, you're reading, you read, you see that semicolon, break right there. You, you understand the window, you understand the door, you know who the door is. And he just described where your window, your eyes should be fixed on. Should not be looking out that door, looking at the world outside. You should only be fixed on him who is the door, who's the only way. You all with me tonight? <clears throat> now we're going to describe the compartments in the rooms of this. And it's italicized. With lower. This door of the ark shalt thou sight in the side thereof with lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make it. You may be seated tonight. Lower, second, and third stories shalt thou make of it. Great is the word of the Lord. Great is the word of the Lord. I pray God has his way tonight. <clears throat> Have you enjoyed this little study we've been on the last couple weeks? See, we're all, like I said this Sunday, we're all in that, we're in that rapture season. We're in that consummation of the ages. We're in that change of the body. And, and that doesn't mean as much, perhaps, to the younger, but to the older. I'm in that older now. I need it, too. That, that, that gets real exciting when I think about that, that what God has laid up in store. And as you, as you purpose in your heart to, to go back through and study it out and look for it and, and find it, you, you're not just in 3 Thessalonians. You're not just in the book of Corinthians. You're not just in the book of Revelation. You're not just in Matthew 24. You're not just in Luke 10, 17. You're not just there. You understand? It, it's everywhere. That promise, like I said Sunday, he prepared a way from the very beginning, from the very beginning to where you're at right now in your moment. See, each one of us comes to this junction of time. The prophet preached that message a couple different times, the junction of time. See, God is supernatural. God is specific. God is very purposeful. And the prophet taught us a lot about that purpose of God. So right now, tonight being, uh, today's the 25th, January 25th, 2023, the convergence in this room at this moment, at this time of day, with this amount of light that's outside, with the exact, all the stuff that's going on in the world right now, it's not a coincidence. Not a coincidence. It will be considered a junction of time. Now, in this moment, I believe with all my heart that God will speak to you tonight. But I also believe that Satan will speak to you tonight. I can take you back to Job 1. Every time the sons of God gather together, Satan's right there too. Satan's the first one to church. He likes to sit on the, the front row and trying to get in your business, get in your distraction, to get your mind off anything of what's about to happen. You know, we agree to our enemy. 
We agree to where, what we're fighting tonight. I'm not agreeing with him. I'm just saying we all agree, we understand what the battle ray looks like tonight. How that enemies of the darkness of our Satan, uh, not our Satan, but of Satan and all of his, you know, his, those that go with him, how they're set against you right now tonight. The purpose of God is to change your body from the one you're currently in to the one that he took a picture of you before the foundation of the world. That's the purpose of God. That purpose of God is to translate you from this dimension to that dimension. And you're going to happen a little bit of it tonight. Because it's a step-by-step, here a little, there a little, uh, stammering lips and other tongues, the way God speaks to you. It's, this is the way God designed it. I, I wouldn't have picked some uh, silly person to stand up and use the foolishness of preaching to preach to you, but that's what God decided. I, I would have never been my pick. I would have thought anything else, but, but you've always got a role to play. If I don't surrender my life to God, you won't be blessed. If you don't surrender your life to God, I won't be blessed. It is a members in particular. Now, that surrendering part, you'll have, we say this many times, that you'll have someone sitting uh, side by side, shoulder to shoulder to someone. I mean, just bumping corner, uh, elbows, whatever it might be, and one of them be able to slip right in that other dimension and pick up what God has in this room tonight. While the person sitting beside them will say, that was kind of a boring service, and I slept through most of it. You know, we've seen this. We all live. We all in a church. We all live in these bodies. We all have the same enemy. I say that all the time. So you know what he's trying to do. He's trying to get your eyes off what's available for you tonight. Now, I say all that to say this. You're not just seated in this room with the amount of brothers and sisters you see here tonight. You're sitting in this room tonight with angels of God in this room right now. Kind of changes how you feel about where you're sitting tonight. Seated with angels of God. Flaming swords in this room. This is what the Word teaches. Don't let me scare you tonight. This is what the Word teaches. Wherever you are, the angel of the Lord encamp around them that fear the Lord. Well, that's just at home. No, that's wherever I go, the angel of the Lord are right there. And you know that wherever he is, there are as well. So we've got that checked. You're not just, we've got empty seats tonight that you can see in this room. But you maybe have them all perched around the crown molding or however they would fit in the room in this kind of dimension. But they're here tonight. You agree? You agree with me? They're here tonight. See, this has changed your perception of your reality of what's going to happen. So you've just admitted and agree with me that you believe the angels of God that were created before this world was are in this room tonight. What for? What for? They're always curious to see what he does. Now let me go a little further with that too with you. He's here tonight. I can tell you, thus saith the Lord By the promise of his word, he said, wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, he said, I will be in their midst. That is nothing but the truth. Now, depending on where you're at right now in your walk with the Lord, you'd have felt that. It ain't going by feeling, but you live in a body that feels his presence. And it changes things. And I I know it's not my feeling. I know Satan can impersonate that, but when he comes around, there's no impersonating him. Mm-mm. There's no impersonating the Lord Jesus. The outer court, the inner court, the holy of holies. We say this a lot. We all live in this body. We all have the same struggles. And I said that Sunday that, that our phones, it, was, it went from just being a TV. It used to be when it started coming out in the 40s and the 50s that, that in the evening time, every TV in America just about was on. People were parked before that thing, getting their minds filled up with all kinds of nonsense that took you away from God. I'm guilty. I have spent 100,000 hours sitting in front of TV, getting my mind and my attention taken off God. Then Satan come up a little bit sleeker, and he come out with that thing. 
And there's not one person, I guarantee you, outside of my brother Hector in this room, that doesn't spend at least one hour a day with this in their hand. At least one hour a day. Most of us much, much more. But won't spend five minutes a day with our Bible in our hand. Won't spend five minutes a day in prayer. I'm just telling you where your fight's coming from. I'm not condemning you. I'm just telling you we all in the same fight. And it's my job as your pastor to tell you how to fight. I can tell you how to lose. I've been stomped on a bunch. I can tell you how to fail. I've been that a bunch. But I can also tell you what will fix the fight. I can tell you what will fix the fight where you won't be constantly stomped on. God makes a way. Flip over to Genesis chapter 17. I want to catch some of those promises. I'm running out of time very, very quickly. and just started. Genesis chapter 17, and remember we're talking about this rainbow covenant. Now that covenant, and we're going to skip right over what we read to you on Sunday, where God had told Noah, I make my covenant with you, Noah, and I make my covenant with the earth, Noah. Do you understand? Not Noah the earth, but the earth. I make my covenant with you, and I make my covenant with the earth. And the thing about God is, when he says something, it's going to happen. Amen. It's going to happen. Again, we don't have time. We can jump into the prophecies of Elijah, saying what he said about Jezebel and Ahab. And then God took him home, but yet that prophecy was still there. So God made a way that Micaiah would stand up and echo the words of Elijah and say that if, if I'm even a prophet of all, you won't come back. You won't come back from that. He was entreating them. Is there one more? Is there one more? Is there some other prophet? Do you have another prophet? I do have another prophet, but he always speaks evil against me. This is what the, the, one, the, the one of the king was asking. Well, Ahab tells him, I've got one prophet, but he's always speaking evil against me. Well, bring him up here. They bring Micaiah up there, and one of the other prophets tells him, even smites him in the face and says, you're going to say exactly what we said. These prophets of God said, you're going to say exactly what we said. Micaiah said, all I can do is say what he says. Amen. That's what made Elijah so special to the Lord Jesus, where God would use that spirit five times. He would only say what the Lord Jesus Christ said. Micaiah comes along, another true servant of God, and only says what Elijah had told him from the vindication to the prophecy from God speaking to Ahab. You will not survive. Because that promise has to come to pass. That's a negative thing. But all of us remember those prophecies. You remember those things. And it's easier to keep the negative things of, of the Bible sometimes in your mind. And, and think about those. And more so the, 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 the positive things. And the promises that God has for you. So I want to take tonight and read to you this prophecy. Genesis chapter 17 verse 1. And this is a prophecy because God is speaking. When Abram was old in nine, the Lord appeared unto him. He was 99 years old. Now, not one of us here tonight are 99. Not one of us. But as you understand, this is after the, the, the aqua shield, the aquifer, whatever you would call it, after it come down, man did not live as long as a tree any longer. Even in Noah's time, they hit 120. And Abraham hit a 200, well, pretty close, whatever it was exactly. But they weren't living long periods of time any longer. So 99 years old was pretty old. Pretty old. So it's easy as you're moving through just the book of Genesis. Oh, no, he's only 99. That's no big deal. If you look at genealogy, a lot of those other saints of God weren't even maybe having the first children by you know, 150, 200 years old. That's not the case we're at. You've got to understand this was an old man. Abram was an old man. Now, in all these promises, you find one off the bat that he gets a name change. He gets a name change. Abram gets a name change. And there's a very pertinent particular reason why this happened. He was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him. Again, this is thus saith the Lord. The I am speaks. I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. 
Now, Abraham could have, Abram could have said, I don't have the Holy Ghost. I don't know how to be perfect. There's no way I can be perfect. And God said, I'm making this promise. Not you, I'm making this promise. Just hold on. He said, I will make my covenant between me and thee. It sounds an awful lot like what he told Noah. I'm going to make my covenant between me and with thee, betwixt me and thee. This is my my promise. This is my covenant. And it will never, ever, ever, ever pass away. As long as seed time and harvest remains, this is nothing but the truth. I'll make my covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. Abram fell on his face. That's a believer right there. Abram fell on his face. He, that's a believer. He wouldn't stand there saying, you can't do that. No, I know who's speaking. I'm on my face where I belong. Amen. My shoes are off. I'm kicked off. I'm on my face. God have mercy. He said he fell on his face. God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee. Again, nothing that he says is just uh, willy-nilly. Nothing is just thrown out there. Nothing is just, you know, uh, filler. You believe that? When God speaks, every single word is thus saith the Lord. Now, if I can get to something over here, I, I, can, I can show you something that will really set your heart on fire. So God have mercy with us tonight. He said, as for me. See, Joshua's going to make a similar statement in just a few years. 400 and 500 years, whatever it might be. Joshua's going to make a very similar statement. As for me and my house. Because it wasn't just Moses. He told Moses, Joshua, God told Joshua, as Moses, my servant, is dead. He said, now you're the man. You're the one I'm speaking to. And then his response, his testimony, the fruit of Joshua's life was to say the same words. As for me and my household. As for me and my household. I don't care what TV show comes on. I don't care what comes on my Instagram. I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to give him priority. I'm going to put him first. I'm going to tear down every altar of Baal. He said, as for me, behold, my covenant, my token, my rainbow, my promise, my thus saith the Lord, my heavens and earth will pass away, but my word will never fail. My promise is to you that thou shalt be a father of many nations. Many nations. Now, as I pause to make a note about him being the father, you have the you have the, 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 the response of Abraham. You have the reaction of Abraham. And, and again, Abraham don't have, Abram, make sure I'm saying right, Abram doesn't have the Holy Ghost right here. You understand that? He doesn't have the Holy Ghost. But his response is still, be it unto me. That's his still, be it unto me. Now, you have, a, you have a, the, the literal uh, lineage of Abraham, Abram through Abraham, through Isaac and Jacob, and keep coming down and all those 12 tribes and all the way up to the genealogy of Christ. And even up until now, you have those same seed of Abram, even now in the literal blood chemistry of that man. They can trace it back. That's what, that's what they do. Now, that, it, Paul would make a statement like this. All of Israel is not Israel. All of Israel is not Israel. Jesus would say like this. They would tell him, you're of your father the devil. They would say, you're Beelzebub. You cast these things out by the house of Baal. You do all these things by Satan. And he tells them, no, no, no. You don't understand. He said, when Abraham met me, he loved me. Yeah. Abraham met me. He loved me. These are the words of Christ. 
If it would be written in red if you look in your eyes. He loved me. What a way to describe him. What a way to describe that reaction. You don't get that same description about Cain. You don't get that same description about the Pharisees that he's talking to. He even goes on to tell them, you're of your father, the devil. They throw out this weirdest, strangest statement. We're not born of fornication. Who do you think you're talking to? They knew what the, 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 the truth of the serpent seed. They're not confused. He said, we have our Abraham to be our father. Same thing they told John. They have Abraham to be our father. And John would say, point at the stones that Joshua, who we just talked about, set up an altar in the middle of the dry shod Jordan when he walked across on dry ground, took the time to build an altar. He points at those stones and said, God is able of those stones right there to raise up children of Abraham. Not a coincidence that he would make such a statement. Not a coincidence. He's pointing at that promise. He's pointing at that token because that was also a token. That altar was set to be a token. And then you find it all through the Scripture in the Old Testament. When your children ask you, what mean ye these stones? What mean ye? You can put it in your Bible search. What mean ye these stones? That's a particular point right there. What mean you this promise? What mean you this token? What mean you this covenant? What mean you this altar, this consecration, this sanctification, this life delivered to God with full surrender? What do you mean by that? Peter would come along and said, you are now, through the baptism of the Holy Ghost, a lively stone. You've been made alive. Now we're quickened. Now we're seated in heavenly places. Now you're in the believer of the positions, uh, the, the believer's position in Christ, which is quickened and set into heavenly places. I, I should get a little more excitement about that. You're not in your struggle of your job. You're not in this. No, no, I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ. Amen. There you go. Seated in heavenly places. So, I will make thee exceedingly fruitful. I will make thee exceedingly, he just got his name changed, and then I am, says, I will make thee exceeding fruitful. I will make thee exceeding fruitful. Now, I don't believe in coincidence. I say this all the time because I like to be facetious. That way that you won't get stuck in thinking. Because, again, I, I love how Brother Andrew said that. People will accept a lie so much quicker than they will the truth. Well, no, this has been taught and taught and taught and taught and taught. Then it must be the way it is. If it's contrary to this, that's a lie. Anything contrary to this, it's a lie. Any one word. Again, we say this all the time. Eve fell because she misrepresented one three-letter word. Brought death to all the human race and the creatures. One three-letter word. And the prophet would say, you think you're getting in on anything less? You're getting into heaven on anything less? No, his bride loves the word. His bride will bring it to manifest in her flesh. Not like Eve. She's not like the prostitute Eve. Not at all. Not like that prostitute Eve. He said, I will make thee exceeding fruitful. Exceeding fruitful. Now, the reason why I say that this is no coincidence, as you look at a parable of Christ, and he makes this statement about that I'm going to give you a parable, that there was a good sower that went into the earth, and he sowed the good seed. And then afterwards, another cometh, and he soweth a bad seed. So you have the good seed planted. And again, when you find in Genesis, and it runs through that every herb will bring forth after its kind, every yielding, every fruit, all these things will bring after its kind. It's not just saying, it's not just telling you about botany. It's telling you about a promised token covenant from the Lord Jesus that this must happen. This must happen. This must happen. Yeah. 
positive or negative, it's going to happen. Positive or negative. This is where a lot of people get tripped up with Eve's statement where she said after Cain was born, she said that I received a son from the Lord. This is where a lot of people get tripped up with that statement. I received a son from the Lord. Now, we tell this to you all the time. Satan is not any kind of a creator. Not whatsoever. Anybody agree? Amen. Okay. I know I talk fast. I know I get excited. But I want to make sure you follow me. So when she makes a statement such as, I don't want to get her book wet. It's a very old book. <clears throat> she makes a statement that I received a son from the Lord. It, yeah, there's only one creator, and he created a woman even before they had belly buttons. Before they had belly buttons, before any child had ever been born, he created her because he's a way-making God. He created her where that she could, they could have a union, that seed can be planted from a male to a female and can bring forth life. See, God, that wasn't, they weren't meant to be that way. They were meant to be spoken word seed of Christ, just like Jesus Christ. They were meant to be spoken word seed. You understand that? There's a reason why Jesus had to be virgin born. There's a very particular reason why he was restoring everything that was lost. It was meant to be spoken word. It was always meant to be spoken word. Adam and Eve, they would speak their children into existence. But through the fall, this happened. But yet God was not fooled. God, be not deceived. Oh, is that, how's that worded? Uh, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. That which you sow, that which you shall reap. And we run over that scripture so much saying, you know, I can do whatever I want. I can say whatever I want. I can think whatever I want. No, no, no. Don't be deceived. You don't mock him. And everything you think, everything you say, everything you do, he's watching. Yeah. Everything, even right now. So there's only one creator, and he created a way that she could have a child. Satan wasn't up, well, you know, this isn't the way God decided to do, but I'm going to do this, I'm going to have the serpent implant you with his seed, and now poof, I've made you where you can have a child. No, 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 Satan's no creator. Satan is only a deformer, he's a perverter, he is a diverter from the truth. He's trying to divert a per, you know, the pervert from the way of truth. So when she has this son, it only comes through the actual way God set up to be done. So he tells this parable that he planted a seed, and yet you have an evil sower that comes behind and plants an evil seed. That was the devil. He got in serpent and was able to do that with Eve. And you see right away what the fruit of that lineage is. We touched this here recently about the sons of God looked upon the daughters of man. They found to be fair. That was not Nephilim. That was not angels. Any of those things that was sons of God, sons of Seth, sons of Seth that looked upon the daughters of Cain. Found them to be fair. You find the same thing with the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Feast of Baal Peor. You find the same thing because you're the same, your enemy's the same, and God's the same. Yeah. Nothing's new. Solomon would say there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new. Well, no, I'm the first one who ever made this sin. You're fooled. You're full. No, no. It's been done. It's been done. It's been done. It's been done. But we found a way. There's been a way given that it don't have to be done that way no more. You listen to me. Each one of us sit here tonight, we were sinners. Each one of us were full of iniquity. Each one of us were blasphemers. Each one of us were enemies to God. But he made a way to where you're not that no more. And he didn't just stop there. He made a way your body could be changed and you'd leave here without dying. That's the kind of promise I'm talking to you about tonight. It's the kind of promise I'm talking to you tonight. He made a way. 
He said that I'll make this, I'll make this, this exceedingly fruitful. So if you have, uh, if you remember, I can't remember if it's in the message, um, is it in the paradox? I think it's in the paradox. But Ram, it's one of those in the 1963, but Ram's telling about visiting John Sherritt's farm there in Phoenix, Arizona. He was a big um, uh, fruit and vineyards and things like that. He, he'd started out really poor. God, and if you heard his testimony, it'll, it'll set your heart on fire. I'll share it with you right now. He was born very, very poor. John Sherritt was. He was cutting concrete for, Brother Ram said, like, you know, two cents an hour or, or five cents a day. I mean, nothing, literally nothing. And, and he also stuttered. He stuttered really, really bad. And he was at the time of marrying age, and he wanted to get married. And he told the Lord, he said, I can't even speak right. I stutter, I trip, all these different things. There's no sense in me talking to a girl. No one's going to want to talk to me with me stuttering nonstop. He said, God, you're going to have to give her to me. You're going to have to bring her to me. And Brother Ram said, God gave him the most sweetest and wonderfulest wife. Just the best wife that loved him and stuck with him. So he starts doing good. He starts a concrete company. And he's making, he's cutting concrete himself. I think I might be mixing up a little bit, but he actually starts doing good. Finally gets to build his own house. And that was a lot back in the, you know, in the, um, in the time of the Depression and things like that. When a lot of the folks were struggling, he was actually doing pretty good. So he's doing well. And God comes along and tells him there was an evangelist or something coming through. I can't remember exactly. Coming through. And God told him, he said, give them your house. Give them my house. Nobody else has houses. Everybody else is losing their houses. And, and I'm to give them your house. And he told, tells his wife, this is what God said. What do I do? She said, God said it. You know what to do. So he, give, he's give, he donated it to the, whoever it was. I don't know who. This is, just, this is just history. Donates it to him. And so then him and his wife are, start renting a room in someone's attic or basement or someplace like that. Renting a room from a lady. And each night he's going out and working all day long. Work late, work late, work late. And this woman after a while tells the brother John that if you will, I believe you to be a man of God. She said, I will loan you a certain amount of money to start you a business. I see, you know, everything else has gotten really poor. How long your money starts your business? She said, you just got to pay it back a certain amount of time. He took that, and the Lord blessed him and grew him to be where at the time Brother Branham met him, he was over well into a millionaire. In the 40s, by now. And I'm telling you about in the 60s, what I'm getting to. So I don't know if, it was, uh, if he became just you know, a fruit ter- as far as a fruit farmer, whatever it was. So when Brother Branham starts telling about him, this particular story, this is the 60s, he's telling about going to visit his farm, which he's got hundreds of acres where he's producing all this fruit and just sending it all over the U.S. Now, he goes there, and he's looking at a particular tree, and it's got, make sure I'm saying this right, he's got tangerines, he's got lemons on it, he's got oranges on it, and he's got, um, some, I think, a fourth thing on it. All of this one tree. And Brother Ram's looking at it, he said, how is that possible? He said, it's easy. You take and you cut a certain way and you graft a vine or a limb from another tree, a living tree, and you graft it into this tree in a very specific process, and it's pulling its life from the, 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 the roots and the stem and the stalk and the stump of that tree to produce its limb, each one. So he asked him, he said, that's very interesting. He starts to see a spiritual type there. He said, let me ask you something. He said, come fall, and everything falls off, and through the winter, next spring, what will those limbs that were grafted in, will they come back to produce an orange? He said, no, they're going to produce whatever was grafted in. Whatever, lemon, tangerine, all those, whatever was grafted in. He said, let me ask you another question. He said, if it ever produces another limb, an original limb, what will it produce? He said, nothing but oranges. He said, I see it. 
I see it right there. Seed time and harvest. There was an evil sower. There's a good sower. A good sower is the one that created and designed your very body. The one designed every fiber, every molecule, every baffle of your heart, every production cell. All of those things. He designed it to be a particular way. You were not designed to be sick. You were not designed to die. The evil sower, the enemy come in and put that blight of unbelief, that blight of disbelief, that blight that would look at the word of God and say, no, that can't be true because anything else, anything else. Insert your reason here. But God, who is a restorer, can raise up a faith seed of Abraham that will only believe, only believe, only believe every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Only believe, only believe, only believe every single word. Do you see it? What a mighty God. He said, I'll make thee exceeding fruitful and I will make nations of thee and kings shall come out of thee. Kings. Now, you have the literal kings that sat on thrones that proceeded out of his loins, yes. But there was another king that allowed himself to be born through that lineage. Another king, which would be considered the king of kings, that allowed himself, he inserted himself into that lineage and that line of, of genealogy so that he might make a way for you to prove to you when you read that scripture that he'd already designed this and brought it to pass before the foundation of the world. See, things get different when you realize there's been a plan. Things get more solid when you realize it's all going according to plan. When you think it's just sowing to the wind, a whirlwind, you're thinking, what could happen? What could happen? What could happen? But when you realize everything is right on time, including you, because God leads his dear children along. And again, back to the junction of time where we're sitting right now. Each one of us from all different walks of life, from different parts of this world, sitting here in Bentley, Kansas on a Wednesday night. Not a coincidence. Let me tell you more about your promises. He said, I'm going to make you exceeding fruitful. I'm going to make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. Now we're back to that rainbow covenant again. That rainbow covenant that God promised, that God said heavens and earth will pass away, but my word can never ever, 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 ever pass away. He said, I will establish my covenant with me, between me and thee, and, shut your book, let's go home. We're done. No more promises. Abraham's dead. He's already received his reward. He's gone on to his reward. Shall we stop reading right there? Okay. So I'm going to establish my covenant between me, the almighty creator, living God that you serve, and Abram, just became Abraham, keep you know, as far as wherever he's at right now in that promise, that, that same one between the living I am and this son of God. He's, I'm going to make my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations. In their seed. Now, it's not just, again, the literal lineage. It was the faith seed. Because Abraham looked at him and said, I believe you. And it comes back to such a simple thing. I believe you. See, the, the, the truth is always much stranger than fiction. Always. We don't sit here tonight as atheists. We're not agnostics. We're not, well, you know, no, no man could ever have risen from the dead by his own power. Nobody can do that. No one's sitting here wondering about that tonight, are you? You believe the resurrection? Yes. 
See, never been done by anyone else. That's strange in the fiction. No one else ever walked on water. Strange in the fiction. Don't worry, he's just getting started. Just getting started. He said, I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And here's where it gets beautiful. And I will be their God. See, unbelief means to miss the mark. Unbelief is, that's what sin is, is unbelief. And it means to miss the mark, that believe that he's not your God. Hebrews talks about he that comes to God must believe that he is God. But you can even make it more personal. I don't believe that he just is God. I believe he's my God because I'm looking right at a promise where he said, I'll be your God. Now, that's not just being an object of worship when he used the word, I'll be your God. That means I'll be your Elohim. I'll be your Elohim. See, a few uh, chapters or verses later, he walks up and he was Abraham's Elohim again. And he changed Abraham's body and Sarah's body and proved the promise. God did that. He said, I'll be your Elohim. God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you circumcised. Now, let's bring it to pass. Flip over to chapter 18, verse 1. The Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre. Abraham was sitting in the door of his tent. He was sitting in the tent door. In the heat of the day, he was getting some shade. He was trying to cool off. It's not just your normal 100-degree temperature. I'd imagine it's Sahara, 155-degree temperature. Sitting in the cool of the day, trying to cool off. In the heat of the day, in the cool of his tent. He lifts up his eyes and looked. And lo, three men, three men stood by him. Three men stood by him. Three men stood by him, and when he saw them... Again, that's italicized. Your Bible will have it italicized. When he saw them, so that just told you, your Bible said he looked and he saw three bodies walking toward him. Three bodies. I believe he knows how to talk. I believe he knows how to be polite and courteous. I believe he had good manners. You believe Abraham got good manners? Okay, the Bible says he saw them. He ran to meet them from the tent door, bowed himself toward the ground, and he said... My lords. But he saw three of them. My lord. My Elohim. If now I found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched. Wash your feet. Rest yourselves under the tree. He, just like Mary, wanted to wash his feet. He, just like... You see, Mary was a descendant of the faith seed, for sure. I don't know about her genealogy, but she, you know, same fruits, same fruits, same fruits. I, I want to bow and worship. I want to wash your feet. I want to give you everything I got. He didn't, let a little water, I pray you be fetched. Wash your feet, rest yourselves under the tree. I'll fetch a morsel of bread. Comfort ye your hearts after that you shall pass on. For therefore are you come to your servant. And they said, so do as thou hast said. Now it's his turn to keep his promise. Now, you ever had somebody uh, going to come by and visit you for a while, and, and you start talking about, well, you know, if you were to, if you, you know they're leaving. You know they're leaving. Well, you know, if you'd have stayed, we'd have got some steaks out and grilled them up, and we'd have let you have the best room in the house. We'd have let you have a nice car and drive around. But you know they're leaving because you can make any promise you want. 
You follow me? You can make any promise you want. But when you know they're going to stay, you might not be so, you know, uh, so liberal with all you're giving them. Because they might take you up on it. See, God, uh, the Bible's very clear about making your vow with the Lord. It's very clear about you honor your vow with the Lord. And if you honor your vow, he'll keep his vow with you. The scripture's full of it. You keep your vow. Now, he's told him this. He said, this is what I want to do. If I found favor in your sight, this is what I want to do. Please don't leave. Let me get you some water. Let me wash your feet. Let me feed you some bread, comfort your hearts. And then if you can pass on after that if you're okay with that. And they tell him, so do as thou hast said. Now he's got to bring it to pass. Now the prophet would give us a beautiful drama on this. He runs back to Sarah, tells everybody, slay the fatted calf. He says, let's find the best this, the best this, let's provide a table. We're not doing this just for the mayor of Sodom, just for the mayor or governor of Gomorrah. No, 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 we're doing this for Elohim. I recognize who's sitting right there. I want to give him my very best. Amen. He deserves it at the very least. And they said, so do as thou hast said. Abraham hastened. He got going. He got moving. He said, let's go. Hastened unto the tent unto Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of fine meal. Knead it, make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran to the herd, fetched a calf, tender and good. Gave it unto a young man. He hasted to dress it. He took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed, set it before them, stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. Now, I read that quickly for time. But you understand, they just consumed food they just consumed food i just described to you abraham looked up lifted up his eyes and saw him walking toward him they were walking toward abraham in a body wearing clothes sat down and ate now the scripture doesn't give a lot of detail to this point that's why i love what god did through a prophet he said what he did the prophet said, what God did, he just scooped down some sand or some dirt, and he just blew into it and created a body, then did another one, did another one. He said, Gabriel, you step into one, the other angel step into another one, and I step into one. He created a body just like that. He took simple, ordinary old dirt, created a body where Elohim could step into, walk around, walk around, walk up to him, and then eat in that same body, in a, in a freshly created body, you don't think these bodies were left hanging around the wall in heaven somewhere, do you? Just would God put it on like a coat? No. God needed something. He, st- he spoke it up. He did what he did. He spoke it back down. You ever understand where we're at? He created this out of nothing just to go have a conversation with someone that loved him and believed him. Created it out of nothing. He took the atom, the atomic molecule of dirt and sand and, and hydrogen, all these things, and created a body, stepped into it just to have a conversation and a meal with someone that believed him. What do you think he'll do for you? Amen. What do you think he'll do for you? <clears throat> they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. This would have been behind them. He said, I will certainly, this is again, one speaking, one speaking, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life, and to Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. You got the scene in your mind. You got the drama unfolding in your mind. You see where they're at. You can see him sitting there. You can see Abraham sitting there. You can see Sarah maybe doing some chores in the tent behind him, trying to keep things ready. Maybe she's cleaning up supper. You don't know why, but she's there, and she's doing it quietly enough where she can hear everything that's said. Because you want to look busy. You, want to do, you don't want to peek his head in there, and he said, you goofing off in here? No, sir. 
I've been busy. But she's doing it just quietly enough where she can hear through a tent door in a conversation. I don't believe they're sitting there screaming at each other. I don't believe it's like a bunch of Parkers get together and you hear us miles away. I believe they were having a normal civil conversation. And it was enough where she may be listening through the tent door. And he just made this promise. He said, you know, I told you it before, and now I'm here to back it up. And Sarah is sitting behind, in the tent, behind, and Abraham and Sarah, and it goes again. Just in case you were reading this, in the scripture, this, 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 uh, this all be unfolding, and you had taken a moment and forgotten that they were very old, very old, Abraham, now, Again, now Abraham and Sarah were old. Not just, well, we live to be a thousand years old around here and a hundred years old is, is less than teenager. You understand? The Bible says, just so you understand, how heavy uh, this meant to Sarah. No, no, no. And, and the prophet would tell you, she'd been a granny a long time. She'd been a grandma a long, she didn't actually have kids, but she was old. For a long time, long past the time of life, all of those things, Abraham's life stream had dried up. You understand, this was no longer physically possible whatsoever. There's no implants, there's no uh, anything that can be done right now to help this. I don't even think you can help the, uh, what's the, um, um, what's the link cost, $18,000 or $36,000? In vitro, yeah, in vitro. You know, in vitro fertilization is going to help her. There's nothing there to, to give it, let it live. Can't be done. God waited till nothing else can make a difference, make a change except for him. Amen. Nothing. See, First Thessalonians, when you're talking about a rapture, it, and we say that earlier, even those that are already dead and in the ground, by your account, dead and in the ground by your account, he said, no, no, I'll raise them up too. I made them a promise. They're coming up. No problem. So now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. That means she no longer had any of the function that a woman has to be able to have children. That was all done. It was all over. No more. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I'm waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? She wasn't just saying, you know, oh, have a kid. Why? I mean, she was actually talking about the marriage bed. You know, nothing's worked forever. It can't be done. That's why she laughed. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Can you imagine the look coming across Abraham's face? You see that a husband will answer for his wife. He'll answer for his family. That's the way God set it up. That's the way God set it up, that he'll answer so if there's something going wrong, he'll answer. If a child is sneaking something under the door, under the, you know, you know whatever it is, the, hut, the dad's going to answer for it. That's why God in his mercy will, will, will show them things that the children didn't want them to know. Shall I have a surety bear a child which am old? And then he asked this question. And you realize who's still speaking here? Who's still speaking here? Is there anything, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Anything. Now, if you were to jump over to Paul saying, will strife, will famine, will death, will the sword, will any of these things separate you from the love of Christ? He said, nothing, nothing. Now, he's asking, is there anything too hard for me? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Now, we're talking about the Creator sitting here. He could have very easily 
whatever you, however you imagine this, poof, now they're both 18 years old. Now, poof, you're pregnant. Now, poof, the baby's born. And like that, he's the creator. Nothing is too hard for him. But he chose to keep with creation and let it go the 28 days. They're restored. They're healed. They're put back to a rapture condition. Their bodies are turned back young. And then in a 28-day cycle, she is now impregnated with a child. And then in a nine-month cycle, you'll hold the baby. Because his word said so. Seed after seed, herb after herb, yielding its fruit. Yielding its fruit. Sarah denied him, saying, I laughed not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. She's trying to lie to him. She comes out and says, I didn't laugh. Now, if you were to jump over to uh, um, Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, and you understand the New Testament, the church was set up there after the Holy Ghost was filled, had been fallen upon them, that they had all things in common. Now, I don't that it was necessarily told that you go sell all your land, sell all your land, all your land, and your land, and your land, and you bring all the money here, and we all live for the one thing. I don't think it was actually told, but this is what a lot of them did. They were giving of everything they had to the work of the Lord. Now, Ananias and Sapphira come along. They sell a property, and they want to sell Peter and all the disciples that, that we actually sold it for $100, but we really sold it for $1,000. But we're only going to tell you $100, and we're going to give you all of that. Here's $100 for you. God don't need their money. Peter don't need their money. None of them needed that money. There was no purpose to make that lie except for for pride. And that pride cost them their life. So Ananias walks up and he tells him, was this property sold for such and such? Well, that's exactly what I told you. Struck him dead. A few little bit of time later, uh, Sapphira comes in. And did this really sold for the amount of money your husband said it was? Well, yeah, that's what we told you, right? You can hear right now the footsteps of the men coming back from having just buried your husband. So she heard him and then she dropped dead and they buried her beside him. You don't lie to him. You don't lie to him. I tell you again, your very thoughts, your very thoughts, are you bought with a price or not? Are you bought with a price or not? Are you his love slave or are you not? Is he your greatest treasure and priority or is he not? She denied him. The men rose up from thence, looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with him to bring them on their way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? And I'll stop right there because I'm running out of time. But, but you understand that God kept his word. And he, he had to, he'd already promised Abraham. He said that, that through her, I'm going to have you, you're going to have children. Through her. And because she made a mistake, God had to forgive her to bring about his word. Now, you've made plenty of mistakes. I've made worse. He had to forgive me to bring about his word. He has to forgive you to bring about his word. While we were yet his enemies, he came and died for us. I'm telling you, he made a way. He made a way. Each one of us should have been struck dead. Each one of us should have been thrown into hell by the back of our feet as hard as we can be slung. But he said, no, I made a way. They ain't got to go. He said, I'm in fact going to go for them. See, they called him Barabbas. They said, Barabbas took your place. That, that as far as, you know, Barabbas took the, Jesus took the place of Barabbas. No, no, that was my place. They might have called him Barabbas. They might not have pronounced Sam Parker right, but that was my place. I love him tonight. 
I love him tonight. My goodness, where does time go? <clears throat> in, the in the message, Revelation chapter 4, number 1. Now, in those sermons, we was been, been studying those here a lot lately, that there's four series, four services that he preached starting New Year's Eve in 1959. Is that right? No, 1960. And then they carried over to 1961. <clears throat> this quote is from that sermon, paragraph 180, Revelation chapter 4. While they were yet speaking, a voice said, a voice spoken said, This is my beloved son, hear you him. And this is on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son, hear ye him. And when they looked, they seen Jesus only. Everything had wilted into one. Listen to the way he words that. Everything had wilted into one. Now, before this, Peter made that statement because they saw Moses and Elijah. And he said, let us make a tabernacle for Moses, one from Elijah, and one for you. And then that voice spoke and said what he said, that this is my beloved son, hear you him, out of a cloud, spoke and said that. And then everything wilted away and they only saw the Lord Jesus standing there. That right there is a type of your walking experience with the Lord. That everything in your whole experience, your whole gambit, your whole walk, your whole, uh, your, everything that you are is meant to bring down to one singular scalpel-like focus to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just broad is the way. No, very narrow. Very, very narrow. And there'll be few that will find it. Be very few. When they looked, they seen Jesus only. Everything had wilted into one. One. Again, remember, Abraham only talked to one. He said, oh, this one that he wilted into, oh, and he was the light, the truth, the way, the door, the rainbow. He is the rainbow. He is the rainbow. Let her put that up and let you read that. He is the light, the truth, the way, the door, and the rainbow. He's not just making a promise. He's not just making a token. He's not just giving you his covenant. He's telling you, I am the promise. I am the token. I will bring this to pass. I will bring about my word. In John chapter 3, <clears throat> John chapter 3, verse 11, three verses there, 11, 12, and 13, John chapter 3, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen and you received not our witness. If I've told you, if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? How can I tell you heavenly things when you only believe the earthly things? Okay, we saw you turn the bread, the, the, the fish, you know, we created the fish again, created the bread again, turned the water to wine. We saw all those things. Well, we're, did we see them? Did we see them? Did we? Didn't we? Did we? Didn't we? We didn't. You know, yesterday was the anniversary of that light. The Ram said it's better for you to see that picture than to be in the room and see that light because Satan can take that out of your heart. He can tell you you imagined it, that you just saw a figment of light no matter what it is, but because God let that be authenticated by a man that worked for the FBI, you can believe it. We were talking the other day about walking by faith and not by sight. Faith and not sight. The thing about that is people always say, yeah, that's no problem, that's no problem, but there is so much of God that you can see and people still won't believe it. He's everywhere you look. He's in everything. But you still don't believe it. Still don't walk with it. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe me, how shall you believe it if I tell you of heavenly things? And that of is italicized. 
That of is a very particular point. How can I tell you, or better yet, how can I bring you into heavenly things if you can't even see this working in your earthly things? See, we share this a lot about what God is unfolding, of the mystery of the seals being opened in this day, what God has come forward and done in this day. And a lot of people will say, well, we'll just sit here and wait for the rapture. We'll do this, we'll do this. And their lives are just terrible. See, this is to work in your earthly things, too. It's to correct those things as well, because he's a restorer of even your very relationship. Beautiful Savior that we serve. Beautiful Savior. Verse 13, no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that come down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Now, this verse stumped them real good. Okay, we're looking right at you. You're saying you come from up there. We're looking at you. We can touch you. But yet you're saying you are there. We don't understand. Obviously. They've never seen nobody like him before. Never. Wherever he is, is heaven. So when he says, I make my abode in you, what's that make you? See, when you, when you, you, if you can like, you know, I see where I'm at right now in my walk. And I can look and see where I'm supposed to be. And I'm imagining I am miles and miles and miles away from my end goal where I'm supposed to be. But in reality, like I said, his word is still keep moving. You're exactly where he has you. He's still keeping his word. He's still got it in control. And you're still going to make that at the exact particular time. It brings a peace. Amen. I believe him. I believe him. Satan's plan in particular, our intention is to let you not believe him, but his word's still true. Turn to Revelation chapter 14 with me. Anybody ever figure out where the time goes? I appreciate that. My goodness. I love how the Lord steers me. Let's say it like that. I've had some time before in preaching where I uh, will, will say, feel led to go to a particular scripture, and I'll have a quote somewhere and something, and I don't know when I'll get to it. And then I'll tell, I know I'm going to go to here next, and then I go to look for that scripture and can't find it. And then you step back, oh, I'm supposed to read this next. So, Lord, let, let us get to that. If not, maybe next time we preach. Amen. Chapter 14, 14, verse 12. Chapter 14, verse 12. We were in that covenant. We were in those lights. We were in, uh, well, if the Lord give, let us have the opportunity to get into Ezekiel tonight. We can see what God has. Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. Get on the same page myself. Here is the patience of the saints. First, you've got to have patience. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are <coughs> they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Here are they that keep the word and have his faith. Keep the word and have his faith. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Again, those that sleep. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon that cloud, one, one, again italicized, one set like unto the Son of Man. Now, your mind, of course, jumps right to Daniel 7. One like the Son of Man. 
And there's one sitting upon this cloud. You're reading it too, right? I get the same. Okay. You're reading it. So there's one, and I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like under the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. A sharp sickle. Sound like a harvest time to me. And another angel come out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle, thrust in thy sickle, and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. We just spend a lot of time on seed time and harvest, on the herbs and the yielding forth and bringing forth the fruit. He said, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. The earth was reaped. Now, Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel chapter 1. Verse 26. Now, he's been in this vision. He's seen the, the, those, um, it is one. Yes, it'd be verse 1, chapter 1, verse 26. I don't have time to get the whole chapter. Chapter 1, verse 26. Above the firmament. This, this vision, this, uh, the Almighty speaking to him. Above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above it. Upon it. As a man upon it. The appearance of a man upon it. We just read Revelation 14. And I saw as the color of amber. The color of amber as the appearance of fire round about within. Again, Daniel 7, fire round about within him from the appearance of his loins, even upward, from the appearance of his loins, even downward. And I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire as it had been, and it had brightness round about. This appearance of fire. Now, we don't have time to get into Revelation chapter 1, so I'll just kind of quote it to you. This one, who he was... Everywhere you look was fire. Burned. His feet looked like they burned in a furnace. Divinity, God, there's no doubt who this one is. Everybody's on the same page. This is the same one that sat in the tent door with Abraham. This is the same one that's in this room right now. The same one that's in this room right now. You pray, God, you let him see you. It had brightness round about as the appearance of the bowl that is in the cloud in the day of rain. This one that he's describing. He looks just like the bowl in the day of rain. This one that I just described looks just like the bowl. You're reading it too. I'm not making this up. You're reading it too. As the appearance of the bowl that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearing appearance of the brightness round about it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face and heard of one that spake. Now, he's not saying that you're seeing the Lord. He's saying you're seeing the glory of the Lord. You catching that? He didn't say that you saw this is the Lord. He's saying this is his glory. You are his glory. Now, if he's in you, they can't see him. They can only see you, but you do nothing but emit his glory. 
You shine His glory. You are His glory. You are the glory that He was glorified with before the foundation of the world. You are. We are. The glory of the Lord. Now, the beautiful thing about Ezekiel describing this as an amber light. As, and we, we talked on the rainbow on Sunday about those seven colors and, and all of the, that color wheel is which comes all of our multiple colors and you know, kind of change, kind of change, kind of change. We take white and now we have 25,000 shades of white. We took blue and now we have 17,000 shades of blue. You understand? But it's from those original seven colors. The reason why God uses seven so particular is God is very thorough in his revolution, in his measurements. God is very thorough in his measurements. It'll never be 2,000 and some change. It'll never be 17 and a little bit. It's always exactly perfect. Now, the exact year is not matter because he does not gauge himself in time. He does not even measure himself in time. A day of the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day as one day of the Lord. The Bible teaches this, that it measures that way. But as far as the sevens following perfectly through, when God starts a work, God has a particular purpose and a program that he will keep, and he will not overstep it. Now, if he was kind of winging it, just kind of winging it. And we'll jump into those church ages right there real quick, Revelations 2 and 3. If he was going to wing it and say, well, I got Paul about right there in Ephesus, and he's got about what? He had a 15-member church, 18-member church, something like that Paul did there in the Ephesians church. It wasn't very many, very, very small. And Eutychus, I imagine, might have been around there too. He's the one that fell asleep and died in the window because he fell asleep in the church, and Paul prayed for him. They said, but Eutychus said, I don't know if even Eutychus said that. It was other people said he preached too long. The man fell out and died, and God just raised him back up to dead. Anyway, so if we got Paul, just so happenstance sitting there. Now, now if that's the beginning of the seven church ages in roughly a 2,000-year span, and you have the promise that was made unto John that, that he told the disciples, he said, what's it to you if this man doesn't die until he sees the coming of the Lord? He asked me, he said, what is it to you? Remember the question? They, they didn't like him laying on Jesus' breast, laying on his bosom, hugging Jesus. And he's like, he's mine. You understand that? You feel the same way? Abraham said, I'm going to bow at his feet and wash his feet. John said, this was mine. You got to get your own. He's mine. Very particular, very personal. He said, he's mine. So the other disciples are getting jealous. They're like, what's up with this guy? What's up with this guy? And Jesus steps back. He said, what's it to you if he never dies until he sees my coming? He actually says, some of you. He actually says, some of you never die. Because just a few verses later, you find him on the Mount of Transfiguration. But John himself was allowed to be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, caught forward, brought to our time, be able to look backwards. I heard a voice behind me, and he was able to see the seven church ages behind him. And then he brought all this up, Revelation chapter 4, and now I'm in the Spirit, caught up into him. So the sevens, the sevens, the sevens. So Paul is there. Paul has those believers there. But you've yet to be born. And God could have said, okay, that's not so bad. Then you have your second church age. You have your, uh, I'm going to mix up, but we need, a, we need a, the pyramid here. The Sardesian church age, the, the well, you know, I always get those mixed up. Columba, and wow, pitiful. Must not be meant to say it. So you have those days. And if he had stopped at the three, three is a very good number of Christ. Okay, you not be yet born. You not yet believe. It could have stopped right there. And God said, well, okay, this is good enough. We'll take this right here and go. As a harvest man, he could have said, this is good enough. We might not get nothing. It's looking really bad behind us. Um, what's the date? Um, 1960 
Is it 1960 or 1961 that the pillar of fire drew those moons out on the wall, actually on the air, this side of the wall, the back of Branham Tabernacle, seven moons, each one showing the darkness of each age. How much light was here, then getting darker and getting darker because Isaiah 60 is nothing but the truth. Gross darkness covered the earth. And you got that light, you got little light, less light, less light, less light. So as he's sitting there... Fall, you have the second Irenaeus, then you had, I think it's Martin, and he's sitting there, well, I guess this is the best we're going to get. It only looks really dark back that way. We might as well just take this harvest and just go home. He didn't do that. He didn't stick it a three. He said, now, let's go to the next one. We have um, is it Columba, and then we have Martin Luther in the fifth. He could have stopped. Five is very particular with God. Five is a number for grace with God. He could have stopped right there at Martin and said, well, stick right there. That will be good enough, right? No, God is very thorough. He comes to each of the rest of those days because, again, you had not yet been born yet. He has been making a particular certain sound out of you from this grandparents, this great-grandparents, this great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great. You would be come down to be a certain type of body to where your heart, through all that you've been through and the worst day there's ever been, when gross darkness covers the earth, all you can see is his light and all you say is amen. 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 I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. No matter what, I believe that. God's particular. He's very particular. Very, very particular. Whoo, what a mighty God. Amen. So, back to Seventh Church Age Messenger. William Branham, the man on the left. Revelations 10, chapter, chapter 10, verse 7. Seventh angel's messenger. He described it before it was ever taken a picture of it. Come in in, uh, I think it's Camden, Arkansas, as a ball of fire. He described it as an amber light. It comes in the room. Um, 3,000 people saw it. Many people try to reach out and grab it. If a ball of fire comes to the room, I don't know that I'd try to grab it personally. Because I don't touch fire, so I, but, but I don't know. Maybe I, I wasn't there. So but that was their response. They're each trying to jump up and grab it. But many people start testifying, I just got healed. I looked at it, and I just got healed. I looked at that amber light, and I just got healed. People are jumping out of their, their wheelchairs, jumping off their stretchers, the blind, the deaf, the dumb, you name it, they're all getting up. That light just healed me. That light was not William Brown. That light was the Lord Jesus Christ. That light was the glory of God that I'm speaking about. Ezekiel says it's amber. Right there is an amber light. Now, as to meant to be a halo, the glory of the Lord over your head. It's not over your feet. It's not over your knees. It's not over your hips. It's over your head, showing that Christ is the head of the church. He's the chief cornerstone. He controls the reins and the throne of your heart. Come on. Agree with me. I know you might be in your flesh going, I'm not there nowhere near yet. I'm maybe at a strong 20%, 30%. Am I being generous? We each have things we've got to surrender. We've got, each got things we've got to die out to so that he might have his preeminence. Now, let's jump back to Revelation chapter 4. Now, as we've said, we've come up to, uh, we've come to those 2,000 years. We've got the description that John is allowed to see. Revelation chapter 1, he describes the glory. He describes the messengers. He describes God standing there. And he's proving to you before you even start the book, this one that I'm talking about, he's got them in his hand. Completely in control. Nothing's about to fall out of his hand. We've all had too many things in our hand where we couldn't hold it all. Each one of us. 
I, I can't put everything. No, it ain't going to fall out of his hand. You got you to keep it all. You, you understand what you're seeing. It's proof that he's got it in control. They're sitting there in his hand. You come through the second chapter 2, chapter 3, all the way from Ephesus, all the way through the Laodicean church age, which that right there is a picture of the Laodicean church age. You can't see because it's dark outside. But it's Jesus on the outside of his creation, his creation, his creation. Nobody else created you. Nobody else created them. Nobody else. Him standing on the outside of his creation having to say, will anybody come out here? Anybody? I created them. Not Satan. And you put me out? That's what he says. Seven church ages, that was the response. Darker and darker and darker, yet God kept sending reformers, reformers, reformers. And then finally he sends a prophet that bridges the gap from Revelations 3 to Revelations 4. Our Eliezer. That turns us out of those church ages, out of that latest in church age, that turns us to him. To him. After this I looked, chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, I looked. And now here's what I saw. A door was opened in heaven. A door. See, we just read that out of the Revelation series. He said that, that everything wilted into one. He's the door. He's the way. He's where he puts his name, and you're his glory. A door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. The voice was as it were a trumpet. Now, you might imagine, or maybe very quickly, maybe in succession, maybe very loud, maybe very strong, maybe, you know, shaking you. You're sitting there, I hear him, I hear him, I hear him, as if a trumpet's being blown right in your face. I don't know how you might come up to what you would imagine what's going on. But it said, this trumpet talking. It didn't say trumpet blowing, it said trumpet talking come up hither, come up, come up, come up hither and I'll show thee things which must be hereafter. Not maybe, not happenstance. He said it must. It must be. He keeps his word. He's able to accomplish in you his goal. I believe that with all my heart. No matter what you're struggling with right now, no matter what you fell down flat on your face this week, he's able to accomplish his goal in you. It's nothing but the truth. He's able. And immediately, immediately after this, thus saith the Lord was spoken, it happened. Immediately I was in the spirit. I was caught up in him. And behold, here he goes again. Listen to me. Behold, a a throne was set in heaven, and it's italicized, one set on the throne. Not three, not two, but one. One set on the throne. One, only one. Now we briefly quoted this on Sunday. And he that set was to look upon... He that said was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. A sardine stone. Not a sardine, but a sardine stone. 
He looked like a jasper and like a sardin stone. And we covered that with you on Sunday. How Reuben's birthstone would have been a jasper. How Benjamin's would have been a sardin. I might have said that backwards on Sunday. If I did, please forgive me. But that's what their birthstones was. Proving once again that he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and is the end. And guess what? Still got it in control. Got you in control. He that set upon. See, everything is proof. It's proof. It's proof. We're not just talking about walking by faith. I'm telling you, you take your words and you believe what you read. He got it in control. And, and, and there was a rainbow round about the throne. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Emerald. In sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. Four and twenty-four seats that sat around the throne. Four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. And we've covered that with you. That was twelve of those were your twelve sons of uh, uh, Jacob of Israel. That's from Reuben all the way down to Benjamin. Those twelve of them. Then you also have the twelve disciples. Not Judas, but Paul. Twelve disciples, twelve patriarchs, twelve disciples, that makes twenty-four, sitting clothed in white raiment. They had on their heads crowns of gold. They run their race. They finish their course. They press the mark. They did all that was required of them. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Seven lamps, seven spirits. Keep it up. Seven lamps, seven spirits. It couldn't be three. It couldn't be five. It's seven and seven. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass, a sea of glass like unto a crystal. We're still talking about stones here now. Gemstones, diamonds, sardin, jasper, all these different things. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. Sea of glass. You have your throne. You have your four and twenty others. You have, your, you have your, all these other seats. You have the, the living beast, the four creatures sitting there. And before that, you have the sea of glass. It does not say a uh, goldfish pond. It doesn't say a creek. It does not say a lake. There's a big difference between a lake, a lake and a sea. It's called a sea of glass that proceeds from before the throne. A sea of glass. Now, in the Old Testament, that type that they did in Moses, they didn't have the, op- the, the ability to move a sea of glass everywhere they went, so he was given the brazen laver. The brazen laver was given to wash the priest, to wash the people, to wash the, through the watering of the word, to wash his hands and wash his feet. That's what that type was given for. A sea of glass, like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne, and round about the throne, were four beasts, Full of eyes before and behind. Before and behind. The first beast was like a lion. The second beast like a calf. The third beast had a face as a man. And the fourth beast was a flying eagle. We read that scripture to you on Sunday. He bore his people, the children of Israel, upon wings of eagle. These are the words of God. He said, I bore them on wings of an eagle. He said, Looked down with angry eyes, and the Red Sea got scared. He said, my people needed bread in the wilderness. I created it. He said, my people needed water in the wilderness. So I, I, as a rock, again, a rock, I followed them around and watered all of them as long as they needed me, the Creator. 
That probably looked pretty, pretty strange to any of the neighboring kingdoms. That rock just falls everywhere they go. They go that way, he goes that way. He goes that way, it's everywhere they go, that rock. And, and is that enough water? That's not drips. That's not, you know, teacups. That's gushers. Can you imagine water management? Could you imagine whoever's job was water management? Come on, next bucket, next bucket, next bucket, next bucket. We think, oh, man, it's just little teacups. Here, you have a little drink. You have a little drink. God's blessings to you ain't like a little teacup. You drank it all. I guess that's all it is. Have a good day. That's all you get from God today. No, no. You take this barrel. I'll get you another one. Take this barrel. I'll get you another one. You take this barrel. I'll get you another one. You, you keep dipping down. You keep dipping down. You find this all through the scripture. He provides. Amen. He provides. He provides. He provides. He provides. Flying eagle. The four beasts had each of them six wings about them. And they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night saying, Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts... When those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, read this with me, Thou art worthy, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So you just said with your own lips, because you are His pleasure, you are His glory, you are His choice, you are what He always has wanted, and for His purpose you were created. You going to make it? That's a resounding yes. That's a resi- yes, yes, yes. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Because he said so. He said so. Turn back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Goodness. And you hang on just a few more minutes. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That, yeah, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Our gathering together unto him. Where will the eagles be gathered, Jesus? They asked him, where will these eagles be gathered? He said, wherever that carcass body where the Son of Man is. That's where they'll be. That's where they'll be. Wherever he is, you'll gather to him. You'll gather to him. No matter how far you got to go, I'll gather to him. I won't just sit here and ride out and die. No, no. Wherever he's at, that's where I'm going. That's where I'm going. I'm going with him. Um, and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us at that day as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, the coming of the Lord, except there come a falling away first. Falling away from what? It's falling away from whom? Falling away from him. Now, we'll pause right there, and I don't remember the exact scripture, but uh, he, he makes a statement. He had 70, he had the 70 and he had the 12 that were following him. And he told them that he knew he had too many following him. He said, eat my flesh, drink my blood, or you have no part in no life, no part in me. You have no part in him, no part with me. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. The 70 walked away from him. 
They'd already seen everything you've done. They'd already seen the creation. They'd already seen the, the, the bread, the fish, the loaves, the healings. They'd seen all of those things. They'd been there, and they watched it. They were there when the woman touched the hem of his garment. They heard the testimony. They saw all these things. And he makes a statement such as, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And they're like, we're gone. That abrupt. That abrupt. I guess we're done. We're going home. They walked away from him. They, there were, you know, don't let no man deceive you by any means. However it's got to come. Nobody's got to trick you to lie, to fabricate, whatever it is. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come. That whole phrase is italicized. That day shall not come. That day shall not come. What day? This day. Shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He's not showing God that he's God. He's not showing you that he's God because his sheep hear his voice. And a stranger's voice they will not follow. Jesus said it will be so close as it will deceive the very elect if possible. I did not just tell you that Lucifer will be found sitting in a bar room. I did not just tell you you'll find him in a real nice school or a principal's office or a gymnasium or a, a, a state senate. I didn't tell you he's sitting in Walmart. I didn't say he's sitting in a gas station. He's sitting in the temple of God trying to propose himself that he is God. See, Cain was very religious. Cain was very religious. Cain was there trying to make an altar to the Lord, trying to sacrifice the Lord as well. But he wouldn't surrender his heart. Showing himself that he is God. See, again, pride puffeth up. He's not trying to show you. I mean, he's hoping that as anybody's trying to show himself, look what I am. Look what I am. I'm God. I'm God. And what's interesting, if you surrender your life, it's very easy to become God. Because that's what you were created to be. If he took your place... So that you could take his. That's simple. That's very, very simple. But the problem is, it's almost too simple. And that's a terrible statement to make, but so many just go right off the top of that. Just run off the top of it. Yeah, it's too simple. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Too simple. Can't do it. You know what? I'm going to read it. You said you'd give me a few more minutes. I'm going to hold you to it. I want to read this excerpt to you from... I think it's spoken words of original seed, but the Bram describing how that, um, did I jump back too far? I think I did. This would be the pick up your pen and write segment of that. Where are we at? Didn't move too far. Pull my mark, bookmark out and missed it. My goodness. Taking all your time. What in the world? Well, now, I don't know. Can we just pause right there for a minute? Anybody got a good testimony they want to share? My goodness. And now it's disappeared. I guess I wasn't supposed to read it. Okay, that was all me. I'll find it for Sunday. Turn over with me to Matthew chapter 16. She becomes the word as the word goes through him, through her. She becomes the word as the word goes through her. 
Not your design, not your will. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13. Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, this is the, the, the question that comes out. They're asking, who is he? Who is he? And verse 13, when Jesus came under the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? It's, it's almost a loaded question. Who do they say? Who do they say? I found it. I was in the wrong spot. Who do they say that I am? And so they said, again, a loaded question. Who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? They said, some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, Elias, or Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He says unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Whom say ye that I am? What's your description? What's your testimony? What's your proclamation? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's his testimony. Begin. You watering the word with your amen. Do you believe it or not? If he would have been sitting there and Simon Peter would have said, Well, you got to say John, James, uh, Nathaniel, uh, Matthias. What do y'all got to say? No, Peter said, Oh, I got a revelation. I'll tell you right now what I believe. I believe that's who you are. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's who you are. And he tells him, Jesus answered and said unto him, He said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hast not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, this rock of revelation, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It doesn't mean that say they won't try, but it says they will not prevail. They will not prevail. And I'll give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Now before you go, before everybody understands, you don't tell nobody who I am. You keep that silent. Even in the Mount of Transfiguration, he told them, you don't tell nobody about this until I go. You everybody understand what he's saying? It's a very select few. Now, this is, this is what I'm trying to read to you. This is that, pick up my pen and write. He said it's in the paragraph 59 of the Pergamian church age. He said, one night as I was seeking the Lord, the Holy Spirit told me to pick up my pen and write. As I grasped the pen to write, his spirit gave me a message for the church. He said, I want to bring it to you as it has to do with the word and the bride. Is anybody interested in hearing this? Has to do with the word and you. Now, you might be a seed of God, you might be a son or daughter of God, and you also might not be married to him yet. You can be both. You can be a son or daughter of God, but yet not yet married to him. So if you're not surrendered your life to him, if you've not received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, if you've not accepted that marriage covenant token with you and him, which you would know, there'd be no doubt, I know that I know that I know that I know, then this word is to you. He said, here's what I'm trying to say to you. The law of reproduction is that each species, listen to the way it's worded, each species bring forth after its own kind, even according to Genesis 1.11. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass and the herb yielding seed, the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself. Whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. He just quoted that to you. Whose seed is in itself. You catching me? He's telling you, thus saith the Lord, as the scripture reads, that every seed will come after itself, because the seed of it is in itself. 
Come on, natural types of spiritual. If God has a seed, it will produce God's seed. It'll catch up in a minute. Whatever life was in the seed came forth into a plant and thence into fruit. The very same law applies to the church today. Whatever seed started the church, started the church, will come forth and be like the original seed because it is the same seed. Let's just pick on day of Pentecost for a minute. What happened? The Holy Ghost fell and it changed those people's lives. Changed their shadows. That's a changed Adam right there. That's a good pre, uh, precursor, a good glimpse that you could walk by someone. You can be in the presence of that son and you can absorb so much of his light, so much of his presence. You can absorb so much of his deity that you could walk by someone and your shadow would heal them who had been sick since birth. No, that's a change right there. That's a change right there. That it will come forth and be like the original seed because it is the same seed. That's as clear as day. In those last days, in these last days, the true bride church, which is Christ's seed, will come to the headstone, which is Christ. You see, Christ's seed will come to Christ. It in life in Christ, that she will, that when she will come to the headstone, she will be the super church, a super race, as she nears him. As she nears him. So you break that down just a minute. You've received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and you can have the baptism of the Holy Ghost upon your flesh every day of your life, the, the prophet taught, and still die and go to sinner's hell. Look at Judas. Because he wouldn't let him in. He wouldn't surrender to him. So as he comes, as you're nearing him, the way it's worded, as you're nearing Christ, you're nearing, you're surrendering, you're starting to look like him, you talk like him, your shadow emits like his. As you near him, you become just like him. It'll make you a super church, a super race as you near him. They and the bride will be so much like him, they will even be in his very image. When they look at you, they no longer see you. They only see him. I, I say if you're each one of us honest tonight, that's all you want. I don't want nobody to see me no more. That's what the Bible talks about. Let your left hand know what your right hand is. I don't want nobody to see me anymore. I only want to see him. I can't help you. He can. Each one of us have our own struggles, our daily you know, mess ups and things like that. And, and you look at me, I can't help you. But if you look at me and you only see him, you can be helped. You know he meets needs. You know he changes the circumstance. He changes the circumstance. Be so much like him to even be in his very image. This is in order. Here's the reason why. You reading with me? This is the reason why. To be united with him. They will be one. Not two. One. No longer you that speaks, but Christ that speaks. They will be one. They will be... This is where you should raise your hand right here. I will be the very manifestation of the living God. I quote this to you an awful lot out of Romans that all of creation is waiting for you to stand up. All of creation is waiting for you to believe what he says about you. All of creation is saying, just surrender and let him move through you. You become the word as the word moves through you. 
You become the word as the word moves through you. You see why the devil keeps you from praying, why the devil keeps you from reading your Bible, why he keeps you from listening to you. See why that happens? And you're saying, I don't know why. I just had a really busy day. No, Satan knows what happens if you get into that. He knows. And when, as soon as he does that, that picker that's always in his ear. Remember Captain Hook and the, the alligator? and the, the, He was scared every time the alarm clock that was in the alligator come around because he could hear it and he was scared of it. Satan's got a similar ticker. And the more you start to manifest Christ, it goes from tick, tick, tick to tick, 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 tick. So why would he not throw everything he's got at you? Everything he's got at you. We need concrete trucks. We need rocks. We need mountains. We need everything in hell poured on top of you. And if you'll walk into that, you can look at him in the face and say, you didn't bring enough. Amen. You didn't bring enough when you attacked my husband. You didn't bring enough when you come after me because he's in me. Amen. You just didn't bring enough. Hallelujah. Just didn't bring enough. They will be one. They will be the very manifestation of the word of the living God. He said, denominations cannot produce this. Well, the musicians come. Denominations cannot produce this. They're the wrong seed. They'll produce their creeds and their dogmas mixed with the words. The problem with the denomination and organization is they will take something that God has done and say, this is all there is. This is all there is. And if you don't believe like me, we can't have fellowship. Have you not seen that? If you don't believe it like I believe it, then we can't have fellowship. So you see that spirit, that antichrist spirit, it will always separate fellowship. They'll separate fellowship. No, we don't believe the same way. We can't have fellowship. That's the enemy. He said, denominations cannot produce this because it's the wrong seed. They'll produce their creeds and their dogmas. They mixed with the word. And he says, this mongrelizing brings forth a hybrid product. You're reading it. Mongrelizing. Mongrelizing. They took the word of God and made it none effect. The way the New Testament Paul would say it. They took the word of God and made it none effect. If that ain't a hybrid mongrel... I don't know what is. Let's all stand on our feet tonight. Become the word through you. Become the word as the word moves through you. So who do you say tonight? Who do you say tonight that he is? Who do you say tonight that you are? You realize that you don't have the same answer you did a year ago? You don't have the same answer you did three years ago? Just Essa, three years ago, you have the same answer? I'm not the same woman. You're not, you're different now. Something's different. There's a light that's come across your path that has changed everything. And you know it. You know it. You know it. You know it. Sing that song. We'll see miracles. Is it in there? We will see miracles.
forth tonight that you've spoken I pray that you'd put them right where they got to go in each believer's heart and I said each believer's heart Lord 
not sitting here with a stony heart, not saying, I don't believe that, I don't think that's true, Lord, but each believer to say, that's me. Looking in the mirror of the Word and saying, that's me. That right there is me. I claim that promise. I'll put that to work in my life. I'll use that in my test, my struggle, my trial, my fire. I'll put that to work. Help us, Lord Jesus. Inspire our faith tonight. Bless us as we go our separate ways, Lord. Bring us back on Saturday, Lord, or Sunday, whenever you'd have us to come, Lord. Let us give you all our lives. Surrender all that we are, Lord. I am your love slave. I am bought with your price, Lord. I am bought by your shed blood. I am not my own. These aren't my lips. These aren't my hands. This ain't my skin. You bought me. Lock, stock, and barrel on every fiber. And before that, you created me, Lord. Help me to surrender and submit and never forget whose I am. I love you, Lord. Bless my brother and sister. Be with us as we go our separate ways, Lord. Meet their needs. Be their provider. Be their healer. Be the lifter of their head, Lord. Be the one that brings peace and comfort. Be the one that's there. No matter how hot the flames seem or how hard the pressure is, Lord, be right there with them, Lord. Let them know that you still walk in the fire with your people, Lord. Have mercy upon us. We appreciate you, Lord. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for all the miracles, Lord, you've already brought to pass in this building since we've been here, Lord. Lord, I can testify already of certain healings that have happened in this building since we've been here, Lord. It ain't nothing we've done. This is your divine favor. This is your grace, your amazing and matchless, wonderful love for your people, Lord. Bring it to pass your word. I accept it. I receive it, Lord. I believe this is just the beginning. I believe this is just the barely the tip of a very big iceberg, Lord God. Let your fire fall in this town, Lord. Let it fire upon his people, Lord this church where it takes burning like a brush fire Lord and all is consumed not miss one and hit one Lord but all is consumed by your glory to where every heart every person would become a believer of your light Lord and of who you are we love you Lord Jesus thank you in your holy name amen Worship in your hearts. We'll see you Saturday night. God bless you. You are dismissed.
7 o'clock, 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock Saturday night. This is your kingdom come. This is the 